G'day, you're watching the online ministry from Inverell Anglican Church. Uh, welcome, my name is Adam Draycott. It's great to be sharing this time with you. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 25th of February, 2024. It's our second Sunday in Lent. And our passage of scripture comes from Psalm 27. We pray with the psalmist. My heart says to the Lord, your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Well, the Lord is indeed our help, and we're going to have a time of praise, reflecting on that wonderful truth now. Keep us day and night We can 
pray. Almighty God, help us to hear your Son. Enlighten us with your word that we might find our way to your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's word, our Bible readings today come from Hosea chapter 2, verses 16 to 20, Psalm 19, and uh, our, if we're reading in church, our Bible reading would be Mark chapter 2, verses 18, uh, right through to chapter 3, verse 6. But if you're on your own, or with uh, only a few other people, as I preach, know that I'm going to be preaching from chapter 2 right through to chapter 3, verse 6. Let me pray. Father God, we pray that as we open up your word, help us to use this time well. Show us the glory and wonder that is your Son, Jesus, and lead us in the way of repentance and faith. Father, that you will be glorified above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me begin by asking, who likes conflict? Takes a special kind, doesn't it? I'm not sure the average Joe would associate conflict with the one we call Jesus. But today in Mark's Gospel, all the commentaries tell me we're met with five, five stories of conflict. And it kind of reads like an episode of Q&A, only this is way better. The Pharisees are clearly up for it. Who are they? They're the strict Jewish religious law enforcers of the day. They're peppering Jesus with lots of questions. Chapter 2, verse 7. Here's an example. Why does this fellow, Jesus, talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Indeed, they are right. Verse 16. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 18, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Or verse 24, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Do you see the conflict? Hear the accusations. I mean, that you know, they've got the sugar bowl handles working there in full flight. See verse 7, Jesus is a blasphemer. Verse 16, he keeps bad company. He's irreligious. He doesn't fast. Verse 18, verse 24, he's a lawbreaker. He's even healed on the Sabbath. It's outrageous. And the conclusion, chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus must die. It's incredible because most people back in the day would have thought these super religious, uh, super religious types were good people. And they're going to heaven just ask them. But here we see being religious never made anyone good. 
these religious types, they love their traditions and their rules, yet they hate a good man. They hate him so much they want to kill him. Which doesn't say a lot for their traditions. More, friends, is there anything more toxic and ugly about people who spend their life being hypercritical, always accusing and fault-finding? If we're following last week, if God's forgiveness is our greatest joy and the most important thing to us, then it follows that we would be extending such forgiveness and grace to those around us. Christians cultivate grace, not conflict. So, how do we see that with Jesus? How does Jesus respond to all this conflict? Well, let me begin by saying this is a new era. Jesus embarks on his very own era's tour. Yep, you heard that correct. I actually had to look up the word era in the dictionary. And yep, an era is a long, 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 long period of time. Correct. So I concluded, if Taylor Swift is doing an era's tour, then man, she must be very, very old. Like Dolly Parton old. But it turns out, no, no, she's only... Only 34. Who knew? But of course, relax. The dictionary also said about the word era, it can also be an event marking the beginning of a new and distinct period of time, which is Mark's Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 1. It's the beginning of a new era. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus began his very own Era's tour. Mm hmm. And it's awesome. The Pharisees, well, they're bringing conflict to this. Jesus begins with God's forgiveness. That was verses 1 to 12 last week, wasn't it? God's forgiveness. This is the era of the Son of Man who has come to bring God's forgiveness. Chapter 2, verse 10. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So as the conflict stories begin, this is the first one. Straight away, Jesus says, I want you to know I have the authority to, on earth to forgive sins. But Jesus doesn't just extend God's forgiveness. In the next story, he calls sinners to real friendship, which is verses 13 to 17. You can see it there. I mean, if only God can forgive sins, then here we have the so-called trash of society, prostitutes, tax collectors. Here they are fellowshipping with God, verse 15, around a dinner table. See, I don't know about you, but so many of us struggle with a low sense of worthiness before God, our guilt consumes us. 
But look at this picture here in verses 13 to 17. I mean, and even here, the words of Jesus in verse 14. Follow me. Hey, come with me, says Jesus. And so again, this is a new era. It's an, an era of forgiveness. Where friendship with God is sure. But you know, this Jesus doesn't just become friends with people. Do you know he's committed for the long haul? Which is what we see in the next story, verses 18 to 22. See, the legal beagles are at it again. They're into Jesus about fasting and rule keeping and all that. And Jesus' answer is easy. Look at verse 19. You want to come at me about fasting? I mean, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. Right? See, they cannot. Fasting. No, this is a new era. It's not fasting time. It's wedding cake time. It's feasting time. Because the bridegroom is here. Weddings are a time of joy. Best clothes, gifts, the, the, the celebrations, the ceremony. In the church of a new union, the beautiful bride and groom partying until all hours of the morning maybe. I mean, some cultures take days. No one turns up to a wedding banquet only to stay hungry. They cannot. That's the point. It doesn't happen. So Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? Who is the bridegroom that is with them? Jesus. Who's the bride? Hmm. It's the forgiven people of God. It's his friends. All who by repentance and faith belong to him. Now, did those listening here, did they get the nuance of what Jesus is saying about himself? No, I don't think so. Like many of the next stories. But, but we can, right? We can see, can't we, that this is the era of the Messiah. The Messiah who forgives sins who befriends sinners. But not only that, look, he pulls the ring out. This bridegroom commits with a covenant of love. And this is a covenant that is not broken by death. It is eternal. It's beautiful. Maybe you're watching this and maybe you need rest from your marital status. And they, you know, here is good news for single people or widows or widowers. Or here is good news for even the moderately unhappy married couples. Here is good news for everybody. This isn't a conflict story. This is a love story where we meet Jesus, the bridegroom, who truly meets our needs like no one else can. 
This is a new era that's illustrated with patchwork and wineskins. We see that in verse 21. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into the old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I mean, every woman uh, would have known this stuff about the patchwork. If you don't pre-shrink new cloth by washing it before you use it to patch up an old garment, then, it's, then it will shrink later and make the tear worse and pull on the original. And home brewers are going to be nodding at the, at the wineskins one. I mean, who here has not blown the caps off your home brew? You've done it. I know you have. New wine into old skins is no match the pressure of fermentation, right? It's just going to burst. It's just going to give. And the point is, no one who knows does these things. The other point is that Jesus hasn't come to patch up the old covenant. Jesus is saying this is a new era, a new beginning, a kingdom of God era. And Jesus will not be contained Jesus will not be constrained by the old. Something has to, has to give. I think this is what Jesus is saying. That God is starting something new and life is going to burst forth in a way that people have never seen it before. And as life bursts burst forth, we see Jesus bring something real and lasting we see him bring forgiveness. We see him bring true friendship with God. And we see him as the bridegroom committed with an eternal covenant of love. Which we glimpse in verse 20. Did you see verse 20? Maybe you're annoyed because I skipped it, but let me explain. We'll come to verse 20 in a second. In June 2022, a couple were honeymooning on Hamilton Island. Maybe you know this story. It's really sad. And there are so many golf buggies on Hamilton Island. And here they are traveling in by golf buggy. That's what everybody does. And they go for a U-turn and the buggy rolls and the bride dies at the scene. It's tragic. Only days prior, joy, celebration. Now there is sorrow and a mourning, and a funeral to plan. This is devastating. Truly awful. And particularly devastating when it involves newlyweds, because you feel like their whole future has been taken from them. But now look at the drama of verse 20. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. See, what Jesus is saying is he doesn't forecast a tragic accident. He looks forward to a day. He sees a day in the future when the bridegroom will be taken. And that is shocking. One moment it's wedding cake, joy. Next moment, violence. The groom is abducted. He's taken. 
And Jesus goes on to say that when this happens, when he has been taken away, then it will be an appropriate time to mourn and to fast. Joy will be replaced with sorrow. And we know, surely then, that here in Mark's Gospel, this is the first hint of the suffering and death of Jesus. We know Jesus speaks of the cross. We know Good Friday is sombre for a reason. And so we also know that Jesus goes willingly. Verse 20 tells us, to, tells us that. He goes willingly. The cross is a scene of conflict for sure, as humanity does their absolute worst. But God meets our conflict and our rebellion with what? With love. Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. Whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 5, 25 to 26 says that Christ gave himself up for you to make you holy washing you clean with the word, now presented radiant, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And so we look to the cross and we know that no one loves you like Jesus, our bridegroom. And he will go to the cross willingly, so that your future will not be robbed and taken from you. No, he'll do it so that your future is assured. Let me say it again. This is the era of the Messiah. He brings forgiveness. He brings friendship. He brings a covenant of love that is eternal. And he brings a rest a rest that is forever. This is the last section. Holy dooly, the Sabbath is on view. Get ready for this. Sabbath is a massive deal in Judaism. You work six days, you keep the seventh for the Lord, and you keep it holy because it belongs to the Lord. It's his. Which means, friends, that the weekend is God's good provision. New beauty. And it's, and it's a provision because our physical bodies need rest. Yes, that's true. But also because we need to remember to stop and remember our rest is ultimately in the Lord. But let's be plain. If you read the passage, plucking a few ears of grain was not illegal. Deuteronomy 23.25, cross-reference it. Well, it's not illegal until the scribes and the Pharisees came along and reworked the law and they came up with 39 different categories of work and overloaded people with regulations. Look at verse 24. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Oh, yeah, only according to you, it's unlawful. And so then Jesus goes on to make this point with a Bible story, verse 25. He tells them a Bible story. Have you never read what King David did? 1 Samuel 21. 
And apparently they don't. And so Jesus goes on to tell them in verse 26. In the days of Abathar, the high priest, uh, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, that's David, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And David also gave some to his companions. And what is Jesus' point? Well, he tells you there in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The law is a servant, not a master. God doesn't give the Sabbath as a generous provision and as a blessing to make life difficult. He gives the Sabbath to be a blessing. And they've turned something joyful, a delight, into a great burden, a set of rules. Now maybe you feel that burden with speed limits. 40 kilometre hour uh, road signs outside the school. Do you view the speed limit as a servant to precious children who all too easily end up on the road? Or does it annoy you the law? like a taskmaster, because your needs are somehow more important. I mean, if all you see is a law, then you have the heart of a Pharisee, I want to say. That's the problem with all of these stories. It's all about law, not people. But if you're able to see children and their well-being as, as paramount, and yours, because no one wants a kid to bounce off your bonnet, right? Well, the law is a servant and a blessing. But here's the second point, verse 28. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And so Jesus is saying, if you can catch it, the implication is that if David wasn't constrained as Israel's king, then nor will I be as Israel's king. See? Jesus is saying in a very... Well, maybe it's subtle. He's the Messiah. This is a new era. Of course, as we think about constraint, notice there's no constraint by Jesus in the next story either. Shriveled hand man in chapter 3. We're in a synagogue. I think this is a setup. Verse 2, they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They're watching him closely. It's the Sabbath. And so a healing is a healing in anyone's book especially one that could wait the next day. Verse 3, shriveled hand man is invited to stand up in front of everyone. So object lesson, here we come. Verse 4, Jesus says, let's talk about the Sabbath, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. You tell me what is allowed or not allowed. They remain silent. Verse 5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Guardians of the Sabbath. Intent on murder. Guardians of rest intent to kill. So, so ironic. Keep the Sabbath holy, but let's execute the one who brings 
healing and deliverance and life and true rest. <laughs> no wonder Jesus is angry. No wonder Jesus is distressed at their stubborn hearts. This attitude to Jesus is so self-destructive. These objections to Jesus are just so unreasonable and unnecessary. To reject Jesus is to reject the bearer of salvation. It is the rejection of life and redemption. And it leaves people prey to distress and death and conflict eternal. Some might think, oh, settle down, Adam. I don't hate Jesus. I'm just not that fast. I don't need to take notice of him. I just get on with life. It's all right. Calm down. <laughs> I want to say to you, no way. You can't have it that way. If we truly understand Jesus, you're either going to love him or you're going to hate him. We will love him for coming to be our saviour. Or we're going to hate him for scratching our pride and showing us our sin and our need because we think we know better. We don't like the idea that we fall short. Five conflict stories. In the face of conflict, hear the call of Jesus. Follow me, verse 14. See that Jesus brings in this new era of rest. The paralytic who is forgiven and walks, he gets rest. The outcast sinners get friendship. Come with me. They get rest. Those overloaded by Sabbath regulations, rest. Shriveled hand man, rest. Not conflict. But Jesus brings relief and rest. Good Friday looms, the worst of conflicts. It will bring true rest, rest from our sins, our guilt and our shame, rest from our lack of friendship with God, rest from, the, from all of these laws that just make us restless. And Jesus will die. And Jesus will be raised Lord of all. Eternal rest is his to give. It's no one else's. It's not mine to give. And it's not yours to give. It all belongs to Jesus. So turn to Christ and live. And find eternal rest in him. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary. Are you weary of the conflict? All who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, come to Jesus and find eternal rest in him. Amen.
Should trust his father. 